Hey there, and welcome back to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a podcasting agency that helps B2B brands start podcasts to connect with prospects, generate content, and grow brand awareness. I'm Jeremy Shear, and I am really excited to welcome back to the podcast for the second time, Chuck Moxley, who is now Global Head of Marketing at Blue Triangle a company that helps improve website performance. Chuck, it is so cool to have you back on the podcast. Thanks, Jeremy. I'm honored to be a repeat guest. I guess that's that's a thing. It's totally a thing. You know how there are like on SNL, some hosts that host multiple times and they get like, you know, we're the five-timer club. So you're, you're in the two-timer club on this podcast. That's awesome. Now, it's been a while since you were a guest the first time and- Things have changed in your professional life. You're now at a, a new company, as I mentioned, Blue Triangle. And I know that you've been there for about five months now. Is that right? Correct. Next week will be my fifth month anniversary. Okay, awesome. So, so tell us a little bit about that transition. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've had to tra- tackle so far in your new position? So it's interesting. And I, I, I tend to get recruited to companies that are early stage companies. So they haven't built out a strong marketing function. So usually I'm building from the ground up. This company had already done some marketing. They had an agency. And so, you know, coming in, part of it was their lead gen efforts weren't actually producing leads. And we were so kind of diagnosing that I got in and realized the efforts were kind of scattershot and they didn't really have the right offers or the right content and their targeting was a bit off. So that was kind of the first thing is resetting that. And then the second piece you know, as I, one of the things I do when I come on board with the company is I meet with every salesperson. I try to figure out, you know, what's working, what's not. Number one, hands down, it's a very crowded market that we're in. There's a lot of companies, a lot bigger companies, lots of confusion with the buyers. And this is, this is probably not unlike 80% of the people listening to this podcast, at least, right? I think that's true of any, especially in B2B, you know, SaaS, SaaS companies. And so, and that com- competitive story, they just didn't have a compelling competitive story. They were trying to go like, you know, feature for feature. So that was kind of the, the big, you know, first was kind of fix the lead gen piece, but second was develop a new strategic narrative that would help the company compete and sort of drive all of our content, drive all of our messaging going forward. So strategic narrative, let's drill down on that a little bit. What is a strategic narrative? First, it's a concept really for B2B. And, and I'm going to say this at the beginning, so I don't say it 20 times. This is not my framework or my philosophy. This is a guy named Andy Raskin, probably very familiar. He's got a huge following. He developed this concept starting back in like 2016, 2017. I became aware of it in 2018, started doing it for companies I was working with there, and it's evolved over time. So everything I'm talking to you about is Andy's framework. It's what has been proven and done with company after company. I'll get that off the table. Again, I'm not trying to take credit for it, but it's really meant, number one, for B2B. It's not really a consumer construct that's kind of different in the way you compete, but it works best when you have a very crowded market. When you have a lot of players, lots of confusion, buyers are, you know, already have solutions or trying to figure out why they should change, right? I always say, if you have one of those markets that has that, you've seen those uh, market eye charts, you know, like Lumascapes or Scott Brinker's, you know, Cheap MarTech, where it's literally hundreds of logos, maybe in a circle. If you're in a market like that, then it's a, it's a good fit for it. And it also works really well if you have a very technical product. It's kind of hard to understand and, and grasp. What does a strategic narrative look like? 
Yeah, well, it's a good point. And the concept of strategic narrative, if you're going to compete in one of these markets, right, you can either do a feature for feature, tit for tat kind of, well, we've got a better this and a faster that and, you know, 3x that, right? And it's, you get kind of a pissing contest and a lot of he said, she said. And then what happens in that situation is winners tend to be the ones who have the most market share and the biggest clutches that can get out there and do it. So the idea of strategic narrative is as opposed to going, feature for feature and head to head, what you do is try to change the narrative, change the framework of the way people think about buying these solutions. And you do it based on the fact that the world has probably changed in the last two or three years. In these markets that we all play in, they're very competitive. The world for our customers, our prospects has changed. The solutions are out there are were made for the old world. We are built to solve for the new problem in their new world. And so if you can get them to change the way they think about it and realize the solutions they've had solve the old problem, we're solving the new problem, it kind of distances you and puts you in a space all your own or typically with only two or three competitors. And now you've eliminated 20 other companies that look like you. But if they, if you can get the buyers to buy into this framework and this idea, they go, oh yeah, this is what I really need. Okay, now let me think of you this way. That's what you're trying to do is change the way the buyers think and where they pigeonhole you. Okay. So it's like reframing your story, putting what it is you do and sort of your value proposition and like uh, getting people to look at it in a different way that helps you stand out. Exactly. And the way Andy talks about it, he talks about old game, new game. And again, it's because these markets change so often. If you go back two or three years ago, and when we went through the process, we had looked at things like if we were to interview our prospects two or three years ago, they would say, hey, look, 80% of our time is spent on X. Today, 80% of our time is spent on Y. What's that difference? What's changed in their world? And it's usually their competitors and what's going on, therefore, you know, that's changing their world. So what has changed in their world that now their focus is different and they need a different tool set than they may have had? So it's that old game versus new game. And then you have to show that your competitors, the bulk of them, are still playing the old game. The game has changed. We were built for the new game. That's why we're right. So take us through how you've put this into place at Blue Triangle. Sure. And the general concept is uh, you're building a story. It has five key parts. So it's this old game, new game, right? What's, what's changed in the world, a big change in the world that's affecting your customers. Again, it has nothing to do with your product at this point. You're just trying to understand what's different for your buyers. Then the second piece is you have to establish their people who get this, the, our customers are going to be winners versus losers. And part of that is to create a sense of urgency because that's the other challenge with the feature to feature comparison. If somebody already, already has a solution, unless you create a sense of urgency that they need to change from what they've got, if there's a lot of confusion in the market, a lot of people going, we're better, we're better, they're just going to stick with what they've got. So you've got to create that sense of urgency and you do that with what he calls winners versus losers. And you start to show how the world has changed. Like, like in our space, where one of our key categories is retail, right? So we might contrast Sears with Walmart. What has Walmart figured out that Sears has it, for example? And you start to create this fear, uncertainty, doubt that, holy cow, if we don't figure this out, we're at risk of extinction. That's what you want to create. So that's the second piece. Third piece then is you've got to paint this promised land. And as part of that, kind of define why you don't have the tool set you need today for this. What you need is this, this promised land. This is when you start talking a little bit about your product. But again, it's not our product does this. It's more like 
what you need to compete in this new game is a product. If, if you could wave a magic wand, it would do X, Y, and Z. The challenge is today, the products you've got only do X. You're missing the Y and Z, for example. That's the third part. Fourth part then is what he calls magic gifts. That's when you start presenting sort of your key differentiating features or benefits that play into this whole new story. And you sort of start giving them a vision of what it would be like to use your platform to be able to get this. And then the final piece is the proof points. Show how you've done this for other companies, basically, and social proof and things that, you know, people are out there talking about in the content world. So that's the five pieces, right? Just you got to put together. The way to get there is you've got to get executive buy-in. So it's not really a marketing story. It's not a sales story. It's got to be the company story. I, I like that you broke it down into those steps. So now we kind of know the pieces. And so, yeah, now let's kind of map that onto Blue Triangle and take us through how that's, how this process is played out for you guys, or if it's still playing out, you know, take us as, as far as you've gone so far. Yeah, good point. And, and it's a process. It's always ongoing, but we're, and again, I've been there under five months. We're about two months into the process and we're at the stage where we've developed the story. We've developed our five pieces. And we are actually now taking out to customers and prospects and starting to road test it. But the way we got there started with customer interviews, right? And understanding, and, and Andy asked, actually provide some framework and I borrowed some frameworks from some other folks as well. And, and by the way, I wish we'd gotten to work with Andy on this. I had neither the budget nor the time because I had to do this quickly and I couldn't get on his calendar, um, nor could, could we really afford it. So I had to kind of manage the process myself and I've done it before. So I had, kind of had that benefit, but it started with customer interviews. I used Andy's kind of line of questioning, which are not the typical questions. It's more like, how has your world changed? These are customers using our product. How has your world changed since you started using our platform? What was different in how you used to compete versus today? Those kinds of questions. And this is available online. Anybody can search it, find it. The other piece was I, I borrowed from a couple other experts in the content and selling world. And, and then I'd done customer interviews, done basically 30 minute interviews to understand customer perspective and understand how the, their culture works and the challenges they're facing and how our products fit in. So that was kind of the first step. The second step then was to do an executive team, get the executive team involved. It has to be driven at the CEO level because it is a company story. So Lance, our CEO, has been on board from day one. When I talked to, when in my interviewing and even when I started, that was my first conversation. Look, we need this new strategic narrative. Here's what that looks like. Here's companies that have done it and been successful. He was on board and that's important. We brought the exec team in a couple of months ago, spent two days in our offices in Richmond. And we went through that process of defining those things. What's that big change in the world for our customers? You know, and then we took winners and losers in the con in the context of the that, right? And then we looked at what's not working with the current solutions and what does that promised land look like? If we could wave a magic wand, what does that look like? Then the, what are our magic gifts? And we literally whiteboarded, you know, what are the features? And, and part of ours was, ours is a more complete solution. It's a full cycle solution. So we took in each of the slices, what are the features and especially where we're unique? that played up to that. And then what was our proof? That was the easy part, right? So, and, and that was a two-day exercise with lots of debates, arguments, you know, whiteboard sessions, getting everybody on board. Then Lance and I went off, developed what we thought was kind of the first draft of that, brought that back to the exec team, asked them what's working, what's not working. They threw up on a lot of stuff. We went back to drawing board, kind of tweaked it, and then what's interesting is as we were about to roll this out, we kind of kept refining and, and part of it, and this is what Andy recommends. He 
he talks about, he used to put it like in a Google doc and it was something shared and nobody ever looked at it. So he recommends just making a sales deck. So that's how we built it. We built it as a sales deck that our sellers could take out. And, and the story, this is the piece that people get weirded out about salespeople. Well, I don't have time to tell this story, but you kind of have to frame every pitch this way. And what our sales team is finding, by the way, they're now taking it out. They're going back to customers that are stalled, that are in a deal that's stalled and they can't seem to get moving. And they're getting on the phone with them and saying, let me give you a different way to think about this. And blah, blah, blah. And here's why our platform. And it's restarting conversations because it does change the way the buyers think about you. And what happens on these stalled deals are we're now head and head to somebody here. We've got to explain to them, oh, no, no, no. They're only solving this problem. We solve this problem. That's why you need this. So what's interesting is as we were about to launch it and, and take it out to market in our the exec team sessions, I got the feeling that there were a couple of people not fully on board just by some side comment. So I literally hopped on the phone with them and we spent a couple hours fighting, debating and refining and came back one more time. And I think we came back with a much stronger vision. That was, you know, our head of sales, our CTO, I think were the ones not quite on board when we came back. Everybody was now on board. Everybody felt like it was a really strong, compelling value prop. We then took that out to the company and introduced it to the entire company. We do a call every week as a company. So we're only, you know, 45 or so employees. So it's easy to do. And so we introduced it there. And then we introduced it to the sales team. We've done training. And, and it's, again, it's an ongoing process. Sales teams out taking out to customers. We're going to be getting a lot of feedback. Where do customers get hung up maybe in the story? Is there something that we're saying? One example was that we've already made, we've already done a couple of revisions was in our winners and losers, we were using Carvana versus auto dealerships. Well, apparently, you know, I'm in Phoenix where Carvana is. Carvana's changed the world in car buying. Everybody loves it in my world. Apparently the younger generation has heard all kinds of bad things about, I don't know financing issues or something. So we swapped that example out because it was becoming a lightning rod of people going, well, why do you say it? So anyway, it's little changes like that. Now that we're taking out to market, we figure out what doesn't work. And we're hoping we also get them to say something that will help us in bringing it to life. They'll, they'll say, oh, you mean you're like X or something that we didn't think of, but the way our customers think that will help us then inform what we put out in content and the messaging and all that. And, and that's now the piece we're working on. We're working on all new content for our website, work on new eBooks, work on everything to kind of bring this new story to life. Got it. And that was going to be my next question, actually, which you, you just answered is sort of what's the next step. So it's building out that doing, revving up the content marketing machine to channel this new narrative. Exactly. And, and, you know, as everybody talks about today, you can't wait till it's perfect, right? We can't wait till we've gone through all of this and take six months. So we're going to go ahead and start putting it out. And seeing how that drives engagement on the website, engagement with our content, downloads, conversations, how can we drive more demos, right? With this kind of, of narrative out there. And we actually paused our lead gen right now. We're not out advertising because I want to get all that worked out. Because what I was finding with our lead gen was, and this goes to kind of the whole content question was, we were getting people to download an ebook, you know, that's that's common. They download the ebook, but when they're coming to the website, they weren't finding anything that, that they were saying, oh, you're like X. We already have X and they're done. And so we weren't engaging them after the download. That's what I want to fix first. Let's get the right content on the website and the right follow-on content, the right email sequences, all of that, that define this new way of thinking about us so that when they now, we go out and advertise, they download an ebook. When they come to the website, they're seeing something that's, oh, this is different. This is the company I need to talk to. 
one thing that's really sticking with me, and you you said this explicitly, is leadership needs to be on board, even kind of helping to drive this. And I mean, I was going to ask, you know, what do you, what are some pitfalls that you want to avoid in this process? And I'm guessing that one of them is not being inclusive enough with le- the leaders of your company. Yeah, and what I've said, I've said on multiple occasions, no one of us could have sat in a room by ourselves and come up with what we came up with. It was part of that creative and debate process because everybody, you know, you've got head of sales, head of customer success, you've got CEO, you've got CTO, you've got head of marketing, all sitting in a room. We all come at it from different perspectives. We all have different understandings of the customers. You know, our head of sales has been here seven years. I've been here five months and at that time, three months. So I didn't know a lot about the customers. So it was a creative process. But as it, one of the things Andy says, it's he actually does a podcast on this and his ending to this is the narrative or the story is the strategy. And so that's what I had to get Lance on board with is this isn't just a story we tell in sales. This is how we're going to go recruit employees. We're going to tell them the same story. This is what makes us different. This is what you're going to take to investors when you're going out to raise money. This becomes the company story. When we think about product development, part of this, part of this process, I also, because we hadn't done things like who's our ICP. So we did a whole session on that. We did, we did several other sessions in part of the two days, but part of that was narrowing down our ICP and understanding the story. Now, when somebody says we should build X or do this feature, we can say, Hmm, does this fit the narrative? Is this part of the promised land or is this a nice to have feature that will affect only 2% of the customers. So it, it really should drive everything you do as a company, not just be your sales pitch, not just be your marketing story. And in order for that to happen, it has to come at the CEO level. If I built this, the one thing I would not want Lance to say is, hey, Chuck's built this story, he wants to tell you. That would be like, you know, a bullet in the whole concept. In some ways, Chuck, this sounds similar to like doing a rebranding or, or building a brand story. Is it kind of the same thing or are there important differences? No, it is. And, you know, one of the things, questions that comes up a lot, how is it different than positioning and and that sort of thing? It is a methodology and a framework for it that is very effective, again, in B2B, highly crowded spaces where you're going up against 30 other companies being better established. You could come up with, you know, the typical problem. You know, you have this problem. We have this solution. Here's why we're better than everybody else. It's a hard one to fight. And, and, you know, if we're always trying to fit in that gardener quadrant, magic quadrant or the forester uh, landscape, the challenge is most of us don't have the revenue, right? Because I've been in this world a long time and I, we were forester clients before. We could never make any of those because we weren't big enough until we got, you know, like 50 million, right? So if you're a company with a lot lower revenue, you're not going to get in the quadrant. You're not going to be placed there. And so you can either go try to battle it out or you can try to change the narrative and make it compelling. And so that's why I just think it's a different framework for positioning. But you're right, Jeremy. In the end, it's going to change how we go to market, what we say on our website. It could even potentially change the name of the company at some point because we realize, you know, Blue Triangle, which doesn't have a lot of meaning. And in the context of this new framework has zero meaning. Maybe there's a better, better name. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying that could happen. And if that happens, then we would look at things like colors and all the branding. But now as we bring this to life and we've got a new agency on board that's working on this with us, it's how do we find, because you can't just go out and say, you've got to say in a way that stands out, that, that is memorable. I've, again, I've got a hundred examples of how that works and doesn't work having done this for 30 years. 
So that's the next step is how do we bring the story? We now know what the story is. How do we bring that to life in a meaningful way that'll cut through? That's the current task. Okay, Chuck. So what's your advice for marketing teams that are at the beginning of their journey to create their strategic narrative? Sure, Jeremy. So I touched on it earlier, but this is not a marketing or selling story. I cannot say that enough. It's a company story. And it's so funny because right after this call, I'm going on a call with our CS people scheduled by our head of head of customer success to introduce it. And she titled the meeting corporate message. And then I'm like, no, 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 it's not the corporate message. This is the company's story. And that's why you have to have that CEO involved in IN. And, and Andy uh, will tell you, he will not work with companies that the CEO isn't leading the process on. So I've had to really make sure that this was Lance's message and he was bringing it to the company so that people get that message. So that's first. And then the second piece of advice is developing the narrative is just the first part, right? Now you have to figure out how do you get it inculcated into the company? How do you get it to become part of the fabric? And even as a marketing team, like we've been working on the la over the last couple of weeks on some things that one of our offers was something that was called a, um, a site assessment, which is a name I never particularly cared for. It's very generic. And I, I, this weekend I was thinking, wait a minute, we should, the call to action should be, because our narrative is all around, we quantify. It should all be about what is friction cost you on your website? Find out for free, as opposed to get a site assessment. So it's, you have to start thinking about everything you're messaging, everything you're saying on your blog, on all of that. So as a, as a marketing organization, you have to inculcate it in. But then how do you make it part of every sales pitch? How do you get your sellers using it? So we've done a lot of training with our sales team. We've got another training session where we'll be going back through it. We are going to keep hammering that drumbeat. And how do you start to get it and start to get them to talk about where they've brought this messaging into a sales pitch and help change things? Because that's the goal, right? Helps change the conversation. How do you bring it to life in your content? So we're building out new content pillars. So it's, it's a marathon, right? We've come up with the narrative. Now we've got a big job ahead and it's going to adjust over time, right? So that's those. that would be my advice to marketing teams as it relates to narrative. Chuck, thank you so much for sharing all that. Just one final question. How can our listeners uh, connect with you? What's the best way? Sure. So always LinkedIn. I'm on there. I try to try to post fairly frequently and share stuff out. So that's probably the easiest way. I'm on Twitter. So that would be an alternative. And then, you know, uh, I think we've talked about it before. I've got a book. So you can find the book on Amazon or we have a website, which may be in the links that you can go download a free chapter from the book if you'd like. Yeah, that's right. By the way, listeners, we didn't really talk about the, the book this time, but the first time Chuck was on the show, we, we very much talked about the book. So I'm going to put, I'll put a link to all that, to your LinkedIn, to the book and our show notes. Chuck, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. We'll have to have you back on. You're, if you come back again, and I hope you will, you'll be our first third time guest. Wow. I'd love to be the three, three for whatever, the first three for so. The, tri, the trifecta. The trifecta. I love it. No, that's great, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me. Okay. Thanks again. All right. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. 
Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.